Welcome to our podcast today, Stuff with Steve, and I'm Steve Hill, and today I've invited one of my friends to come over and have a discussion about policing. So I invited Rodney Thrower, my friend from Eugene Police Department, to come over, and we'll just find out and get to know Rodney a little bit and find out about his background and just some of the unique things that a lot of people probably don't know about police officers or policing just because... Uh, we're just unaware and they don't get a look behind the scenes and I do a little bit and so I thought it'd be beneficial to to just have you to come over here Ronnie so thank you for being here today well thanks for the invitation yeah so tell us tell I know a little bit about your background but why don't you tell uh, everybody who's listening about where you grew up and about your background okay so um, obviously I'm Rodney Thrower I grew up in upstate New York outside the city of Corning Corning Glassworks if you're familiar with Pyrex mm-hmm. and Karawa, those kinds of things. That's where that originated. My father worked there for over 40 years. Uh, grew up there. We moved out outside of town uh, when we were when I was younger, and lived out in the country. And mm-hmm. so I really grew up in the dairy part of upstate New York, working on a couple of dairy farms. We had a quite a large yard and a large garden. Uh, played sports, all the normal stuff. Well, I say it normal. Lacrosse wasn't normal over here for maybe for the last 20 years so over there. So you played lacrosse there? Played lacrosse, baseball, football, all those things hockey? in high school. Hockey in the yeah. winter. Okay. Um, then uh, decided to go off to college. Went to college at Alfred University. Um, was going to study, I think it was industrial engineering, if mm-hmm. I remember right. Ran out of money and decided to join the Marine Corps. So, uh, Derry, did you ever milk a cow? I have not milked a cow. Okay, I just... But I, I just wanted to ask. <laughs> yeah. No, no, so it was automated then, so we <laughs> did okay. get to wake up early and do a lot of work before the – And uh, I didn't know this about you, but uh, you played college football. So what position did you play? I was a cornerback. Okay. I was a small guy. All right. Weighed about 165 pounds back then. All right. But you must have been fast. <laughs> was fast, uh, second fastest on the team, mm-hmm. could move, uh, didn't mind hitting people even though mm-hmm. I was so small. So I guess they were all pluses. Now, I remember – because since you brought up football, that your great uncle, or your uncle, I don't know which. Uh, I think it's a grand uncle or a great uncle. Yeah. Was My dad's the, uncle. Was, uh, played for Chicago Bears. Played for the Bears, played for George House in 1951. He was the uh, first black quarterback to play in the NFL. That is so cool. Yeah. Okay. And so you, you knew him? Uh, yeah. What I, what I knew of him was uh, the family reunions. We would mm-hmm. go golfing, and he would complain about us not getting carts. <laughs> <laughs> to walk the he didn't walk the course. Yeah, yeah, I didn't want to walk the course. So, no, Uncle Willie's a great guy. Okay, all right, great. So, I heard you say you were in the military. So, tell us about your military experience. I don't know very much about that. I uh, joined the Marines in 1987, and uh, I was a combat engineer. So, we uh, I was a heavy equipment operator for the combat engineer portion of our company. And uh, ran bulldozers and those kind of piece, larger pieces of equipment. I was stationed at Camp Pendleton, California. I was for my first tour of duty. I uh, was lucky enough to attend the first Gulf War. I was a combat engineer in the first Gulf War. Uh, ran an mm-hmm. armor-plated bulldozer during that, con- that con- conflict. Um, helped breach the minefields into Kuwait from uh, Saudi Arabia. So armor-plated bulldozers, is that because people are shooting at you? Is that a protection, right? Yeah. That, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, all right. So you, I would think that you'd be one of the first ones there if you're doing the minefield stuff. And Well, no, we, we had a lot of support. Okay. Um, 
we had our, our Amtraks towed what we call them line charge trailer. I think in the Army they call them Miklicks. Mm -hmm. But what it is, it's a trailer that has, if I remember the numbers right, about 200 pounds of C4 on it. Mm -hmm. okay. And then a, a, a projectile will take it across the minefield, detonate it in the minefield, and the idea is the pressure from those that C4 will make those mines blow up. Well, then a tank... I'm not sure if a tank plow or tank proofer went through, but one, one of those went through mm -hmm. first, then a tank proofer went through, I believe, and then I would, then we get the support and all the guys with the big guns on the other side mm -hmm. to help protect us, and then I stayed back to help clean up those, those uh, lanes so the following forces had um, safe areas to drive. Okay. Through. So uh, how long were you in the military? I did eight years in the Marines, oh, and then I did another seven i think in the army national guard okay yeah so growing up i forgot about to ask you this but uh did you did you have a faith background growing up or church background uh, baptist okay so so then the church was right next to the ice rink so you play hockey and go to church okay <laughs> <laughs> all right very cool and um uh we were as we were walking up the stairs. You mentioned leadership to me in the military. So, what kind of leadership lessons did you learn in the military that have that have uh, carried you through even today? Is there, is there one or two? I don't know if it's so much. Well, the the Marine Corps has the uh, eleven um, leadership traits, and then I, I can't and I could be getting the numbers wrong, but there's leadership traits and leadership principles. Mm -hmm. And at our battalion, the leadership traits were. Um, stenciled on the stairs when you walked up to the headquarters so you can read those every day when you're walking up to the headquarters to help reinforce that and then they had 11 I think it's 11 leadership principle and 13 traits if I remember the numbers right um, and it just I don't know I think it it's an important thing because you know one of the things I tried to instill in the people that I supervise in the military is like I wouldn't do anything. I wouldn't ask them to do anything that I wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. So if I didn't, if they didn't see me doing something, either above and beyond what they were going to do, then I felt that I was being a poor leader. You know, for example, if we would go out in the field and they had so much equipment that they had to take with them, and even if I wasn't in the field training with them, we were doing more because I was an officer in the uh, Army National Guard. Mm -hmm. I would take all the same equipment that they took with me okay. if not more. so leading by example yeah yeah that was a lot easier so. yeah okay great <laughs> hey so uh you get out of the military and how did you end up being a police officer and why why would anybody want to be a police officer well back then i was tired of corporate america and wanted to become a police officer because i felt i would have that same camaraderie that i would in the military mm-hmm um, even if we don't like each other, if I'm getting my butt kicked on the other side of town, you're going to come across town and help me. And I just like that connection. Okay. I guess not that specific connection, but everything that surrounds that camaraderie. We're brothers and sisters in arms, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we're doing this dirty job that nobody else wants to do. Got it, got it. So you're in the business world, and, and uh, you're just looking for something different in the police department. Okay. I think a different, it was more a different culture. You know, business, business has a, a particular culture. You have, and this is obviously all my opinion, but you have some that are striving to move higher and they'll do what they need to do to, do, to attain that. And I think if you do the right thing and 
take care of what you have going on, you'll naturally propel yourself to those mm -hmm. heights instead of, for lack of a better word, stomping on people to get there. Okay. And I just think that I thought that environment would be, well, I appreciate that environment better than I did in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. And I thought the police department would, would reinforce that. And how long have you been a police officer now? Uh, it'll be 20 years on Friday. And you're going to retire? going to retire in April. Congratulations. Thank you. Okay. And what do you do at the police department? Right now I'm a motor officer, so I am a tra part of the traffic safety unit. So you ride a motorcycle? Ride a motorcycle. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. And I get paid to ride a motorcycle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but wh what else do you do in that as a motors officer? Because I know you do crime scene investigations too. Um, I'm part of the major collision investigations team. Mm -hmm. And what goes along with that is a crime scene element where we'll go out and support um, the detectives and or the forensic unit in uh, mapping things and helping document the scene for later prosecution, essentially. Okay. So as you, here's what I've observed. Um, you guys are involved with the traffic end of things, car crashes, deaths, uh, very horrible scenes. Um, and uh, how do you handle that? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I'm throwing you off a question. So, yeah, that's um, caught you off guard You know, there, it's, uh, well, obviously you probably compartmentalize a lot of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I guess in, in, in my situation, I have the, I have, friends outside of law enforcement mm -hmm. that like to hear those stories about law enforcement so i i get to share those and that's therapeutic yeah okay yeah. sure you get to talk about it with somebody instead mm -hmm. of just holding it in and not talking about anything because you know my my wife has been associated obviously with law enforcement for the same 20 years i have mm -hmm. and it's She's heard that before. She's heard that before kind of thing. Okay. So uh, one of your colleagues once told me, I would rather stay at the crime scene and clean up what's happened rather than go inform someone that their loved one has died. And uh, I've been on some of those calls where I'm helping uh, make that announcement. And uh, that's really tough stuff. I mean, that's uh, gut-wrenching. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I sympathize with that, well, with, that with that difficulty of that. Okay. So in your, um, today the police departments <clears throat> across the United States are highly scrutinized by the media, which is, but uh, how has this affected you personally? Just that, yeah, how, do, yeah, how, how does that work in your world? That well, kind of you pressure know, and scrutiny? What I did is I, I kind of separated myself from that information. Um, I just don't watch the news. Okay. And I know I have a job to do, so I go do that job. And I do that job to the best of my ability, and I just don't watch the news because, you know, I, I think the saying a long time ago, we spend 90% of our time with 10% of the people. And if I shelter myself from what the other 90% are hearing, if they watch the news, then I can concentrate on that, what I need to do for that 90% which is shelter them from what the 10% is doing, because I believe that's what my job is, to shelter you from all the other the bad things that are happening around you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the scrutiny, it's always been there. I'm not sure why it seems like it's, for lack of a better word, exploded so much mm -hmm. lately. It's always been there. But <clears throat> I think if you can sit back and look at what you're really there for, 
and that's sheltering people from that negativity, I think you can get through that scrutiny. Because the reality is, and this is obviously my belief, I believe that there's a majority of the people out there that support what we do. They're just living their lives. They're not, and they don't want to be out in front of the cameras and doing those kinds of things that, that if we're using numbers, that 10% of the public does. Mm -hmm. You know, we had a training years ago, and uh, I want to say he was a lieutenant from, retired lieutenant from the state police. He said, 10% love you and 10% hate you. Doesn't matter what you do. Mm -hmm. It's the 80% in the middle is who you have to convince. So I try to concentrate on that 80%. Yeah, that's probably a lot like life though, right? In general, mm -hmm. outside, even in other professions or ways of life, you have some people that don't like you, some people that do, and then a lot of people who kind of, <clears throat> I don't want to say in the middle, but may not even think about it. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. What's the hardest part of your job? Probably, well, in general, yeah. Um, for me, the hardest part is um, contacting those people in those situations where a loved one has hurt another one, another mm -hmm. loved one. To me, that, uh, and I, I think we all realize that some of those things aren't technically love, but it's just difficult to see, you know, two people in a relationship that quote unquote care for each other and somebody can harm somebody in that relationship mm -hmm. and in the mannerisms that they do, you know, and the things that we deal with. So, so are you talking kind of like domestic violence? And yeah, domestics. Um, I don't know, just the, the, I guess the real big thing is just the lack of, in the, my personal opinion, the lack of personal responsibility um, that I see. And I, and again, I deal with 10% of the people. Yeah. Um, it's just very intriguing, for lack of a better word. Yeah. So you deal all day with people who, I'm, I'm over-exaggerating here, who lie to you, <laughs> right? right. I, I wasn't speeding, you know, <laughs> or whatever. And then uh, how do you turn that off when you interact with, let's say, normal people like you see here in the room? Uh, you, you know, it just... Not um, that we're not capable of lying, <laughs> but I'm just saying that, uh, yeah. You know, I just, you just treat people with respect. I just, even during all my interactions through law enforcement and outside of law enforcement, mm -hmm. I believe if I just treat people with respect, then, you know, the interaction will come out how the interaction is going to come out. If you, if you want to be disrespectful to me through, um, during our contact, I'm still going to treat you with respect. And I don't know, I guess that's a, personal thing for me that makes me feel better. If I treat you respect, I believe the, the outcome will be positive, mm -hmm. even though it might be a negative situation. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah. So uh, how does, you, the, does your faith background help you at all in uh, your job and policing? Is that? Or? No. I don't think it really does. Well, mm -hmm. I, no, it probably does. It probably does help quite a bit, you know, because you go on that, what, treat people as though you would want to be treated kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think that comes from my faith background quite a bit. So that's what I took when I very first started. I was lucky enough to start at police work at 35. Mm -hmm. So I had some life experience. And I think that life experience helped me, you know, get through this career 
with some ease for lack of a better word okay. just because you understand if you understand people more it's easier because the reality is is that's all we do is we just deal with people and all the other things that we deal with around the people but our main focus is the people and how we interact and treat those people no matter what they have done the way we have alleged they have done mm-hmm. or what has occurred we're still doing the, the bottom the basic element is how you deal with those people so there's a lot of a lot of in the uh, a lot of accusations of racism in the police department and those kinds of things. What's your take on all that? I mean, I'm sure you got an opinion. So, um, well, I think I'd, I'd be naive to to sit here and say that there isn't some type of racism that goes along in law enforcement. You know, I think law enforcement is a snapshot of our communities. Mm-hmm. So, and I think we'd be naive to say racism doesn't exist in our community. So if we're a snapshot of that community, I think it's also going to exist in law enforcement. Right. The question is, is are they going to display it, that racism in some form or fashion while they're functioning as a police officer? And, you know, I don't, I don't know. I've, I don't, I've experienced that, but it was, in my opinion, it was a way to try to get under my skin, mm-hmm. you know, try to something to, to hurt me in some form or fashion by calling me a name or something like that. And, so to what degree have you experienced racism in, in our community? I rarely haven't. I know I, I spoke to another law enforcement officer from another agency and his wife is black and he said he experienced it in a restaurant. Right. In a different city. And, you know, and I thought it was a quite progressive, you know, city. And he asked me if I had because I was down south. And I literally had to ask my wife because I'm like, well, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you look for something, I, you can always find it, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. Well, do you think there's a difference between racism and being biased? I, I don't know if that's too fine a line or... I remember Carl Stubbs one time told me, hey, Steve, there, there's a difference between racism and bias. I believe and, there yeah, is. But I believe there is. I think, you know, we, uh, we all have biases. Yeah. Um, but I believe there is that thin line between racism and, and having a bias. But yeah, I've experienced it here. Yeah. Um, but I don't think to a extensive degree by any means. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, looks like switching subjects for a second. Sure. It looks like to me that crime is on the increase in our community. Am I correct in that? Yeah, you had some <laughs> printed. I was going to bring it over, but I obviously forgot it. Uh, I don't know the exact numbers, but. Based on the numbers, it has increased, mm-hmm. but that's the world I function in. I really mm-hmm. don't keep track of the numbers. I just deal with the crime. And then, you know, what level of crime? You know, uh, I think law enforcement's got away from the broken window theory. Okay. You know, we want to focus on these big things when we have all these small things happening to people over and over and over again. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think um, our leadership, governmental leadership, and not necessarily at the city level, but maybe even the city level, if you're talking about Portland or something like that, you know, we're decriminalizing some of these um, municipal laws, mm-hmm. which are kind of nuisance things. My impression is, and I know I'm wrong, uh, drugs are, all drugs are legal. That's my impression. Right. And uh, because I've been on calls and people have heroin and they just, they're just let go because there's not going to be any prosecution. Though. Right. Of that thing, but you also told me a few 
uh, months ago that even the meth problem is so bad in our community that people save their urine, recook it, and get the meth out of it. Is that, am I? Oh, I don't know if that was me. Maybe it was somebody else. Okay, yeah, okay. I don't think that was me. <laughs> now I remember who told me that. It was somebody else. Okay. But there is a significant drug problem, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah there, okay. there always has been in this city. Yeah, and homelessness is still an issue. Mm-hmm. So if you had your, uh, if you were king for a year in around here, uh, what would you offer as solutions to homelessness? Or, or do you have any? I don't really have any solutions. Uh, I wish I did. Um, But I I think it goes back to personal responsibility and holding people accountable and and encouraging them to get off. I I think people that are truly homeless, truly homeless Mm -hmm. and down in their luck, I think they strive to get out of that. I think some of the things we see here are not necessarily those people. Okay. All right. So what would one thing you would want people to know about police officers that they may not know? Um, We're all mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives. Mm -hmm. We all have lives outside of this this job, and it's it's a job. Um, We're passionate about what we do, and, you know, we're humans. The biggest thing, I think, when you look at a lot of the, and I'll, I'll throw an example out, during the BLM movement, a fellow officer and I were riding eastbound on West 18th, mm-hmm. and near the Charnelton-Lincoln area, we're heading eastbound, and there's a sign up there, Black Lives Matter, vote Democrat, and so we just waved to her, and she turns away from me and I just simply told my buddy, I said, well, apparently my black life doesn't matter. And I think, and I figured this out a long time ago, they don't necessarily see the person, they see the uniform. Oh, okay. Never thought of that. Um, And back when we had a a force continuum, I'm not really sure where it's at in the mix now, but your first thing in the force continuum was presence. Mm -hmm. Um, So, well, maybe they just don't see us. They just see the uniform. All right. So my takeaway from this is that uh, uh, police officers are humans, human beings with feelings and families and their moms and dads. They do make mistakes. Yep. uh, um, But they're trying to serve our community with integrity and respect. Yeah. Trying to. Okay. All right. Well, hey, Rodney, thank you for being on the podcast today and give a little glimpse into the life of of a police officer and one that's going to happily retire very soon, I'm sure. And are you going to move away? No, I'm going to stay stay in the area. Okay. All right. Sounds great. Hey, I'm Steve, and this was our podcast today, Stuff with Steve. Grace and peace be with you today.